everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important, as many innovative farm enterprises, like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome everyone, it's Eva here, Farmer and Partner Development Manager with Farm Commons, and we're back for another podcast episode today on cultivating legal resilience for your farm business during COVID-19. And I am here today with a very special guest, Taylor Coons, who is our office manager and legal researcher based in Hawaii, and she's a very good friend of mine. We actually met at Vermont Law School while I was pursuing my master's in food and agriculture law and policy, and Taylor was pursuing her Juris Doctorate degree. And now we get to do the work of business law education for and with the farming community together. Hi, Taylor. It's so great to have you here with us. Hi, Eva. Thank you for having me. This is very fun. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And now back in May, Excuse me, y'all. I am having hay fever like no other right now, so apologies for any uh, odd sounds. But um, back in May, we presented a webinar on starting a farm business during COVID-19, which many folks around the country are doing right now, and we totally applaud you for it. You know, farming is hard enough, you know, doing it during a global pandemic, like the bar is even higher. So, um, of course this is one of the most difficult times to be starting a business um, with market shifting from global to local levels however the good news is um, taylor is on the line today and she's got some nuggets of wisdom for you to carry you through this somewhat tumultuous startup time Um, so taylor what are some of the key legal risk management areas for folks starting a farm business right now sure so there are four kind of important spheres for new farmers or even experienced farmers to keep in mind. So one is land leasing. Two is making and keeping your business or farm successful. And the importance of insurance. And then finally, employment law. So those are kind of the spheres that I'm going to be talking about today. Awesome. That sounds great. Well, let's just get right into it. What should farmers be focusing on in terms of land leasing? Sure, of course. So your farm business is most resilient when you have thorough discussions with your landlords or your tenants or even partner farmers that are working with you on your farm. Um, A lot of people, not just farmers, they don't always write down their leases or they don't talk about the specifics for the leases and then things can kind of arise, issues or not even issues, just things that they never even talked about. So it's really important to have that discussion with your landlord or your tenant or your partner about what you're looking for in leasing a piece of land for your farm. Um, And so it can also just be about the arrangement, the length of it, because if you only want to do it for a year and hand it off, or if you want to terminate it, that's a really big thing about how you want to end a lease. And if you talk about it, 
beforehand, you can, at least in a very broad sense, prevent any issues. Yeah, absolutely. Good communication up front um, is proactive and preventative in terms of minimizing confusion about how will a farmland lease terminate? Um, when will it? You know, what happens? What process will folks have to go through? Is there, if termination is early, say a farmer who's leasing land actually gets an opportunity to buy another parcel um, mid-year, exactly. what happens if that lease needs to be terminated? And so if all that's down in writing, there's so much such a better road to hoe than when all of that is unknown. <laughs> so true. And then if you guys talk about it, the state doesn't just default to whatever the norms are for a lease or a termination of a lease. If you guys have talked about it, you kind of get to do what you planned instead of having someone else decide for you, which is never fun. So mm -hmm. it's an important discussion to have. Absolutely. And so, like, is the discussion enough? Like, can folks just talk about it and then come to an agreement? Or is there something That's definitely more? the first step. They're, honestly, even more important than probably the discussion is making sure you write it down. Um, memories can get foggy if you've had the farm for many years. Um, you might forget specifics, and those specifics can be what save you. So make sure when you come to that consensus or even a any type of agreement, you wanna make sure you write it down and have both people look it over, make sure you've really talked about everything that you want to happen if something should go wrong or just planning for the future in general. If you write it down and have everyone agree about the document and save that document, it can save you a lot of heartache and headache. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um... Yeah, I just, I know from my own experience on a farm here in North Carolina, my landlord came out one day and he was about to ask us to trim the fence line. And then he remembered, oh, you know, I don't actually think that's, that's part of your duties in our lease agreement. So don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. Exactly. So yeah, it's like totally a tool for preventing conflict before it even arises because it's not like I'm saying this or you're saying that. It's like this piece of paper is telling us what to do. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. It saves issues like that from even coming up. So yes. it's great that he remembered. Yeah, absolutely. So what's going on with business structures now for folks starting out? Um, you talked about um, making and keeping, or I think that's what you said, uh, yeah. <laughs> farm business. What's, tell it, give us a down low on that. Sure, sure. So business structures and keeping your business successful revolves around a lot of good risk management. So you wanna prevent, kind of like the lease, but in a different way. You're trying to, again, prevent other issues from arising and you're not always thinking about those when you go into starting your business or when you're working with someone that is your best friend or your husband or your wife or your partner. You're not always thinking about things that could go wrong because you trust that person or for any other reason. So when you talk to your partner or anybody really that's involved in the business with you, you kind of have to talk about what could go wrong. And that's not always fun. Um, so one thing that Farm Commons likes to talk about is the main reasons a farm can fail, fail to thrive or even survive. So we call them the big D's. <laughs> Disputes, divorce, disability, death. And so to try and prevent these, we say you gotta talk to each other. So even if you're not at the start of your partnership or if you are at the start of your partnership, you should always try to talk about 
what does each partner need to contribute to the farm or to the business? Money, labor, and when those things are supposed to happen. You should probably talk about your financials. If you're compensated, how, when? Um, and then a really big thing is making decisions for the farm. Is it one person doing it? Are you collaborating? How does that work? Um, and then because of those big decisions, how do you handle any disputes that might come up? So if you get to talking about those, you can stave off some pretty big arguments in the future or any other thing that could arrive, arise on the farm. So making sure to keep that in mind to build resiliency through your business. Yeah, absolutely. And um, having those hard conversations about um, preventing and dealing with the big D's, you know, like it's inevitable people pass on, um, folks fall out of love with each other. You know, there's very romantic beginnings that come along with a lot of farm businesses and it's hard work that puts strain on the relationship. And I speak from my own experience um, as well, but you know, having these hard conversations and then again, getting them down in writing yes. um, is probably where you're headed to next. I would guess. <laughs> it is. It is. So when you have those conversations, the best thing to do is again, write it down. And in a business structure sense, that's called an organizing document where you put down how you want the farm to be run by who and any other thing you can think of. Um, and so when I talk about business structures, you may or may not know what I mean. So you can have like a sole proprietorship or a general partnership and those things are that happen organically. You don't have to do anything with the state to get those. But a lot of times farms and businesses choose structures that protect them in some way. And the way you can do that is through a limited liability company or through a corporation like an S corporation. And so depending on which structure you choose, the name of the organizing document changes. What you're doing doesn't change necessarily, but the name of it can change when you're trying to look up which one works better for your farm. So a limited liability company would have an operating agreement and a corporation would have bylaws or a shareholders agreement, depending on how you structure your business. But back to the organizing document. So it's a powerful tool for cultivating legal resilience for your farm. And that's the most important thing we want you as farmers to know is being legally resilient so you can do what you need to do to have your farm be the most successful that it can be. That's, that's the main thing that we care about. Um, and the best part about an organizing document is that you get to write it. And while that might seem daunting because it might seem like a legal thing, but the best part is you get to put into it what you want and how your farm should be structured. And it has your dreams and your goals inside of it, not the default of the state or anything like that. It's, it's about you and your goals, which is really important. Yeah, there's a lot of power to be had in, in writing uh, your own organizing document for the farm. Um, and we have a resource for all you farmers who are listening to this podcast and are like, oh, 
going on my to-do list. I'm going to write that organizing document for my LLC <laughs> or my partnership or my corporation. Um, and it's the Farmer's Guide to Business Structures. And I will be putting a link to that in our show notes, which um, I haven't mentioned this on previous episodes, but I thought to mention it this morning while I was walking my dog around the farm. And the <laughs> show notes are only hyperlinked on our website. So farmcommons.org. If you listen to our podcast through our website portal, you'll see all the hyperlinks on the web, the podcast page. But those hyperlinks, unfortunately, do not show up on Apple or iTunes podcasts. So um, when you hear us talk about a resource like the Farmer's Guide to Business Structures, make sure you jump to the, to the episode page on our website to get that link. That sounds great. So when I talked about business structures like the LLC, the Limited Liability Company, or a corporation, you get to choose one of those, which is kind of fun. You get to see which one works best for you. Um, but one thing of note for choosing a specific kind of business structure. So what these things or why farmers choose these or even any business really would choose one of these over a sole proprietorship or a general partnership that happens organically, they can help protect your personal assets if anything should happen on the farm. Like if you got sued or you had a loss of some kind or anything in that realm. Like if something happened, it they help put like a barrier between your farm stuff. <laughs> so be it your tractor, your farm, the land, anything that you use to farm puts a wall between your business items and your personal assets. So it keeps it from a lawsuit reaching your own home or your car or your savings, that kind of thing. So a lot of people set that up to create that barrier. But the barrier is also a bargain with the state. You have to show that you are acting as a business in the way they see a business should be run. You're not mixing the two personal and business. You're not mixing them and showing confusion between the two. So when you create the business structure, you're showing the state that you're going to put up that wall and you're not going to mix the two. And in return, they'll protect the personal side. That means the business assets aren't always protected or at all protected, depending on what happens. So that could be your tractor. That could be your crop. That could be whatever it happens to be, depending on your case. But it's an important distinction that personal can be protected, but business assets are not. So that's just something I want to make sure everybody knows. Yeah, that's right. A business structure, like a limited liability company um, or a corporation. And when we say business structure, we mean like a formal business structure that you create with your state, not the default or organic ones. Taylor was talking about sole proprietorship or partnership. We see all of you out there. Um, and those do offer, just like Taylor said, with a bargain, um, protection of personal assets from business liabilities, but sole proprietorship and partnership do not offer that protection. And whichever one you choose, it's totally up to you, personal preference. Um, another plug again for that Farmer's Guide to Business Structures, we have an excellent flowchart in there that will help you to choose which business structure you would like to either keep, you know, because if you're in business with yourself right now, you have a sole proprietorship. If you're in business with somebody else, you have a partnership. Um, but if you want to form a formal one um, with your state, we give some criteria for helping you to make that decision on your own. 
as well as some guidelines for for structuring your organizing document yeah no it's a really great resource i hope everyone checks it out so while the business structure might not protect your your business assets there is a silver lining and that is insurance (laughs) and while insurance doesn't seem fun. It's probably not fun. For- <laughs> it's probably not the first thing you think of when you wake up. So, but while our first risk man- management tool is building strong relationships, it's in case things change because they do. Insurance is there to back up, and it's a crucial safety net for farmers and farms. So we do have to talk about it as unfun as it might seem but you can build your resiliency through insurance for your farm, and that's great. (laughs) You need that. And because you probably, again, aren't thinking about what could go wrong. Like you're probably not always thinking about if a worker trips and falls, if they do a delivery or a CSA member falls through the floor. You don't want to think about those things. But to protect your farm and your business, you should. And while it can be hard to get insurance for some farmers or it can be hard to cover all of your bases, it's important to talk to your insurance agent and make sure it covers things that your farm specifically does. Because your farm might not do CSAs or it might not do anything on the farm or agro-tourism or anything like that. So you want an insurance plan that covers what you do, not just a general umbrella because that might not protect you always. So it's really important to try and talk to your insurance agent if you can and try to work things out so it's it works best for you. Absolutely. And we get so many questions about umbrella policies and our in-person workshops. And I do want to make a little plug here for <laughs> what that actually means. <laughs> and yeah. so an umbrella policy doesn't mean you're covered for like all of the things. It actually just means that your your coverage amount has been heightened. There's a broader uh, quantity of payout that the policy will will do rather than more things you'll be covered for so rather than being covered for you know injuries on the farm injuries from people getting sick from eating your stuff injuries um, to your employees you know it's not going to cover all of that but rather you might have an umbrella policy specifically for your farm liability and it'll cover like up to the umbrella limit of two million dollars um, so mm-hmm. important distinction there yeah as you all are shopping around Definitely, definitely. So a key learning point here is that when you sign up for individual health insurance plans, you sign away the right for the health insurance company to sue in your own name. And so insurance provides the dual value of an expert attorney going to bat for you when an issue occurs, and it pays out on resulting liability up to the coverage amount, like Eva was talking about. And so the answer here is, even if you're nervous about it or you're you don't think you need insurance because you're working with friends and family, things do change and that's okay. But preparing for it is the best thing that you can do. So make sure you at least inquire about insurance coverage. Yeah. Cause it's not the choice of your friend or your family member as to whether they're going to sue you. It's their health yeah. insurance companies. Um, and that that's like a slippery slope. Like, you know, a lot of farmers will host tours and events on the farm and have CSA Mm -hmm. potlucks and workshops, like in good faith that everything's going to work out. And it's usually like the most out of the blue, you know, a cat scratches a child, someone falls (laughs) through a hole, a cow kicks someone and they have to go get treated. And then the health insurance company is going to come knocking to get paid back for those damages. And, um, you know, farmer, 
Jane might get a letter that her neighbor, Sally, is suing her, but it's not actually Sally, it's a health insurance company. So the best bet here is to make sure that you are covered because insurance provides the dual value of sending out an expert attorney to go to bat for you and like Taylor said, paying out on the resulting liability. And so as exactly. not fun as insurance research is in the middle of the summer, the height of the season, you know, it's it's really good for the highest and best and longest growth of your, your firm business going forward. Exactly, exactly. And we also have another great resource for you regarding all of this. <laughs> so there will also be in the show notes, a link for managing the sustainable farms risks with insurance, navigating common options. So please take a look at that if this makes you nervous or if you just want to learn more before you dive in fully, it's a great resource for you guys. So now you might be thinking about what about liability waivers? But consider them ineffective for legal risk unless you paid an attorney to draft it for you. So while they might be helpful for communicating safety practices on the farm and alerting you to any potential hazards that might be there, they should not be your only source of liability protection. So it can be both. Absolutely. Yep. Having a good insurance policy, um, especially like if it's just a one day event, you know, getting an event endorsement and then having a nice liability waiver to communicate, you know, don't go to areas that are marked employees only or that are flagged off with ribbons or make sure you exactly. wash your hands after you pet animals. All of that is preventative um, to stop a pending legal issue from even happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is important. So we don't, say not to have them just to be careful with them yeah absolutely well moving on to our um last genre on the list of legal risk <laughs> management um what should starting farmers be wary of regarding employment so about employment law when starting out it might just be you on the farm but you might find the demand or revenue or anything like that for your products is starting to increase and you might want to bring someone else on the farm to help you out, to work, anything you need. But an important learning point here is that almost everyone who does work on a farm is an employee. So if you're a for-profit business, as opposed to a non-profit, you can't have volunteers, which might come as a surprise to a lot of people. It did to me the first time I learned it. I thought, it's a volunteer, they, they say they're willing, but it doesn't really work like that, unfortunately. The legal definition of employment is to permit someone to do the work of a for-profit business, like your farm. So this all falls under something called the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act, or FOLSA, if you wanted to, to give it kind of a, a name. But states can use state law to add on more protections, but you can't, as a farm, do less than what the state has asked of you. So. It defines the act of employing someone as the act of permitting someone to work for a for-profit business, like I said before. The law is trying to prevent exploitation of a worker. They want to make sure that everyone is being treated fairly and that they're being paid. So unlike a nonprofit, you can't have a volunteer. A couple of exceptions, though. One is an independent contractor. So that's someone who brings their own tools, sets their own schedule, they control how the task is accomplished, and they earn a profit or suffer a loss depending on their ability or 
the outcome of what they've been tasked to do. Um, and then another kind of exception is an intern or apprentice. So if you're literally teaching someone the way you do things, and um, if they're involved in a formal education program, if they receive significant applicable educational benefit. But the important key here is that they don't disrupt a different employee or they're not replacing an employee. Because if they didn't work there as an intern, the work would still go on. If they're there and they're so necessary that without them the farm couldn't run, that's not an intern anymore, that's an employee. So it's, it can get kind of tricky because you want volunteers, people want to help you, and that's awesome. But it's important to remember that you might have to compensate them in some way. And determining that is dependent upon your farm and what you do and how you handle it. But it's good to know where the boundaries are and how to make sure you stay safe legally as a farm. Mm -hmm. And manage your risks at a level that's comfortable for you. Um, exactly. Because I know enough farms who have volunteers and interns and they have for-profit businesses, but they're doing a great thing for the community. It's mm -hmm. mostly handwork. There's not much machinery. The risks are considerably low for injury. Um, yeah. But that's not to say a volunteer who comes out and um, maybe does a, a few hours in exchange for a share every week, they could change their mind and become upset and think like, they're not getting enough produce in exchange for their labor. There could be some scuffle or some form of disagreement. And if they, they, they then decide that they want to be paid, they have every right to do so because they have been doing the work of an employee on the farm. If they've been hoeing and weeding and packing, like all of that is the work of the farm business. And just yeah. as you said, Taylor, the definition is of to, of employment is to permit someone to do the work of a for-profit business. And that can be so tricky with interns because essentially yes. an intern on a for-profit <laughs> farm is supposed to be useless. Like they're literally there to be useless and just learn, which is not what <laughs> farms need no. um, at all. No, no. So it can be a little tricky to navigate, but as long as you're aware of it and you, and you decide how to go about it for your mm -hmm. own business, it's just good to be aware. That's right. And insurance helps out with that. Workers' compensation, at the very least, Absolutely. injury liability coverage, um, as well as your business structure can help with that. And also good communication. You know, set up fair expectations with the folks working on your farm. Exactly. Um, and maybe make a long-term plan. Like if, you know, as you're starting out to eventually have like a legally legit employment program. So true. So true. And thankfully, if you wanted more info about this, um, if this isn't enough depth and you wanted to learn more, we do have another super helpful resource for you. Um, and it's called Managing the Risks of Interns and Volunteers. So this will also be in our show notes and please check it out if you are at all curious. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Taylor. We will have the link to that resource, Managing the Risks of Interns and Volunteers, in our show notes. Um, and to wrap up here, what would you say are some good tips for farm farmers to move forward with as they um, get their new farm business growing? <laughs> so I think I would say that if you have any employees, make sure you understand those employment law obligations and as that will be the best and surest way to a legally resilient farm. So keep special attention to minimum wage, overtime, worker compensation rules in your state and any agricultural exemptions for those rules. Those are 
pretty important. <laughs> um, and make sure you choose the best business structure for your goals in your farm, because everybody's different. And then take a look at insurance policies that will protect you in your farm. So another aspect that I think farmers should be a little more cognizant of at the moment is the changes regarding COVID-19. So one thing that the government created is the Family First Coronavirus Response Act. It describes new information for paid sick leave and paid family leave for your employees. And so it can help you keep your farm successful, but also help your employees stay employed. So if you wanna learn more, we do have a tutorial, a legal memo, and a quick guide on our website about it. So we'll put in the show, night, the show notes the tutorial about the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Second, remember that there is currently no legal liability established for COVID transmission. But even with that information, do your best to be safe and keep your farm workers safe and follow CDC and Extension Farm guidelines. So if you take all this and you do it one step at a time, you figure out what's best for you and your farm, you will be so much better set up for a legally resilient farm. And that's all we can hope for. That's right. Absolutely. Um, and yes, y'all definitely check out the show notes. They will be jam-packed with the um, curated resources from our library on important tools and tricks and federal programs to help you as you start your farm business during this global pandemic time. Um, and also to help you out as little reminders along the way, Taylor has been cooking up some super like beautiful and to the point infographics that um, she'll share a little bit with us before we um, sign off here today. Yes, so these are really fun. I took five of the most important points from our starting a new farm business guide and I've turned them into infographics for everyone. So they'll be posted on our Farm Commons Instagram. So if you don't already follow us, it's farm.commons. So go follow uh -huh. <laughs> or check out the infographics. The first one is getting posted later today after the podcast is done and I'll be posting one every day for five days and I hope you guys like them they're really fun and quick snapshots of helpful information for starting a farm or keeping your farm successful yeah absolutely and Taylor will those be available on just Instagram or Facebook too they will also be on our Facebook so we'll do it dual like at the same time so wherever you follow us if you do they'll be there and if you don't go check them out. Yeah, absolutely. I could see them being really good um, uh, backgrounds on phones as little reminders, you know, <laughs> yes, like if you're working absolutely. on insurance, you better put that um, insurance infographic <laughs> on your background until you're done um, talking to your agent. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a good to-do list. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us some tips and tricks and good legal information on um, some very important areas of farm law when getting started. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, y'all. Till next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and keep on growing.